we've been making our way through what's known as the Upper Room Discourse, which if you're new, was a message from Jesus to his disciples in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem on the night before he was crucified. And so this is now our sixth sermon from the Upper Room Discourse, and I'm really excited about today because today we get to return to the topic of the Holy Spirit. And so you need to know that the Holy Spirit had a major role in the lives of the first century disciples. And guess what? He wants to have a major role in your lives today and in my life today. The question is, are we willing to allow him to play that major role in our lives? And so let's start this morning by asking this question, Christianity 101, who's the Holy Spirit? All right, so if you're taking notes, you need to know the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so through the progressive revelation of the New Testament, we know that there is one God. Please say one God. It's not three gods. Okay, we're not pagans. <laughs> we we're not polytheists. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. So there is one God. This is what the Bible teaches. There is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we study passages about the Holy Spirit, it's very clear that he is not a force. He is not an essence. He is a person. All right, so regarding this, Got Questions, one of my favorite websites, as you know, says this. A common mistake made with regard to the Holy Spirit is referring to the Spirit as it. The Holy Spirit is a, shout it out, person. person. He has the attributes of personhood, performs the actions of persons, and has personal relationships, all right? So regarding these uh, attributes of personhood, the article goes on to say this. He has insight, okay? So everything here, these are um, attributes of personhood. They're not attributes of a force, an impersonal force or essence, right? An impersonal force can't have insight, but a person can. So he has insight, he has a will, he convicts of sin, he guides, he's to be obeyed, he can be lied to, resisted, grieved, blasphemed, and even insulted. I think it's very obvious that these are not the attributes of an essence or a force, these are the attributes of a person, namely the third person of the Trinity. And so ladies and gentlemen, please, in our church, I know sometimes it's done innocently and so, but, but, but please don't refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. <laughs> He's not an it. Honor him for who he is. You say, who is he? Here, here's who the Holy Spirit is. He's the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, and he has spoken through the prophets. So we're gonna talk about the spirit of truth this morning, and so right now, if you're looking at chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 15, verse 26, can you say amen? All right, so I say this almost every week, but if you're new to Calvary, this is what we do. We go through the scriptures verse by verse. So everybody look at me real quick. I'm not here to give you a motivational speech to make you feel good. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna study the Bible. 
All right, so verse, chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. By the way, um, did you see the Trinity right there in that verse? Who's talking? Jesus the Son. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit come from? He proceeds from the Father. One God, three persons. All right, so in the Greek, helper, um, the, the word is parakletos, or paraclete, however you want to say it, and it simply means one called alongside to help. One called alongside to help. How many of you guys know that as fallen human beings, we desperately need divine help in our lives? Man, we do. And so too many Americans are too self-sufficient. Their attitude is, man, you know, I don't need your charity. I can do it on my own. I don't need a crutch. You ever heard that? I don't need your crutch. By the way, speaking of a crutch, um, Greg Laurie, Pastor Greg Laurie. If you've heard of Greg Laurie, by the way, raise your hand so I know you're, okay. So if you don't, uh, I highly recommend. He's a great pastor and evangelist. Um, and so Larry King asked Greg Laurie to be on his Larry King live show. And so Greg Laurie's like, hey man, what an opportunity to witness. And so he went before national television and he sat across the desk from Larry King and he answered all these questions. Some of them were very challenging. And during the interview, King asked Lori, why would God allow human beings to suffer? Right, the idea is if there's a good God, why in the world would a good God allow human beings to experience pain and suffering? And Lori replied that sometimes the Lord allows pain and suffering to get our attention. Lori then said, I think about the psalmist who wrote, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept your word. He said, I think about C.S. Lewis, who said this, that God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. <laughs> and so King replied, well, how do you know it's not a crutch? And I love Greg Laurie's response. First he said, thank God for the crutch, and then he said this, this is so good. Christ is not a crutch to me, he's a whole hospital. That's awesome. And you know what? Just like many of you, Larry King chuckled when he heard Greg Laurie say that. And he said, good one, write that one down. And it is a good one. And we should never forget it. Why? Because ladies and gentlemen, it's when we finally come to the end of ourselves. It's, we, it's when we finally swallow our pride it's when we finally fall on our knees and admit that we need the Lord. And it's when we finally accept the help of his Holy Spirit. That's when we find a supernatural power that's available to us to get us through life victoriously. The Holy Spirit is the forgotten member of the Trinity. And for so many churches, like Elvis, he's left a building. But hey, as a lead pastor in this church, I want you to know that I want our church to be filled with people who are full of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we need here. Why? Because Jesus went up and he sent the Holy Spirit down. Why? Because he knows we need help. 
but you gotta be humble enough to admit it. And so, look at verse 26 again. He said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All right, so regarding the spirit of truth, I got three points today. Um, the first point I wanna highlight from our text is that the spirit of truth empowers us to testify about Christ. So the spirit of truth, he has a ministry. What's part of his ministry? Well, Jesus said he will testify about me and you also will testify. So he wants to empower us to testify about Christ. Okay, so one of the, the, the I'm sorry, the way <laughs> that the Holy Spirit testifies to the world about Jesus Christ is through the disciples. Let's go back 2,000 years ago to the first century disciples. Let me say that again. The way that the spirit of truth testifies to a lost and dying world about Jesus Christ the Savior is through those first century disciples. Now, that's a big job, testifying to the world about Jesus Christ, so these disciples needed supernatural power. And that's why Jesus, after he died for our sins, was buried, rose from the dead, and right before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father, he gathered up his disciples, and he said this to them in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He said, but you will receive, shout out the word, power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, shout out the word, <laughs> See, power witness, power witness. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. Read the book of Acts. <laughs> it happened in a big way. And so without the Holy Spirit's power, the disciples would have accomplished nothing. But because of his power, they absolutely turned the world, their world, upside down, or like we always say, right side up. How many of you guys believe the Lord wants to turn the world upside down today, right now? He does. And so let's apply this, right? It's not enough for a pastor to just give you a bunch of information for your heads. We gotta apply this to our hearts. So if you're listening right now, say amen. amen. Okay, so the Lord, the Holy Spirit, wants to testify about Jesus to a lost and dying world through you, Christian. He wants you to testify to, about him as well. The question is, Christian, have you received his power? Have you received his power? And are you continuing to receive his power? Listen to the word of God, uh, Ephesians 5, 18. Paul, the apostle, writing to Christians who were already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. All right, how many of you guys know that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells us and he seals us to the day of redemption, right? You guys know that? Without the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong, um, if, without the Spirit of Christ, you are none of his. You don't belong to Christ. So if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so Paul's writing to Christians. And here's what he says. Don't get drunk with wine wherein is excess. Now, I could stop right there and do a 50-part sermon on that alone. Um, but I think you guys know Getting drunk is a sin, and so if you're here today and you're getting drunk, 
you need to repent before the Lord. Don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but listen to the word of God, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so what's the metaphor? Be filled. Well, what's, what's, what happens when somebody drinks too much alcohol? They come under the influence, the power of that alcohol. And Paul's like, don't do that. That's, that's BC days. That's the old you. Stop. Don't get drunk with wine. We're in his excess. But new person in Christ, be filled. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Continue to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Continue to receive the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That is what make, will make your witness effective. All right? And so without power, you're not going to accomplish anything. I'm not going to accomplish anything. But with power, man, we can be used by God. I said it today in the office just a little while ago. I said, Lord, use me as your tube. That's all I am. I'm a tube. Right? I just want to be like a tube, right? But I want his word and his power and his love and his grace and his mercy to flow through me to you so that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of your heart. I am not a man talking to your brain. I hope I'm a tube where the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. But are you open? Are you humble? Is your defensive wall down? Are you receiving what the Lord wants you to receive? And so have you received Christ's power and are you continuing to receive his power? You say, what do I do? Here's what you do. You fall on your knees and you confess your sin to Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And not only that, then you, you, you ask him every day. Ask him, Lord, use me forever, however you want to use me today. I surrender to you. I'm yours. And then ask him to empower you by his spirit. Remember the forgotten member of the Trinity? He's here. He wants to fill you. He wants to influence you. He wants to empower you to be a witness for Christ in a lost and dying world. Is this making sense to you guys? Okay, so, man, you want to live an exciting life? Start doing that tomorrow morning. Fall on your knees, confess your sins, ask the Lord, use me today however you want to, and Lord, would you please fill me with your spirit today? Right, what did Jesus say? He said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you because everybody who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks it shall be opened to him or her. So ask in faith. Believe that the Lord wants to empower you. Believe he wants to fill you. That's a prayer that is in accordance with the will of God. It means it's in Jesus' name. And so ask him and then watch what he does. It'll kind of shake you up a little bit. Now, sometimes opportunities to witness will come in normal conversations. You'll, you'll be talking to somebody and all of a sudden you'll know the Lord is opening a door and he wants me to walk through it. Here's my encouragement. In a normal conversation, if you find the door is opening, walk through that door until somebody shuts it. <laughs> and by the way, somebody may slam it in your face. That's okay. How many of you guys in your BC days slam doors in Christians' faces when they try to witness to you, right? That's okay. But if they're opening the door, keep walking through the door. Now, one of the most effective ways to share Christ or be a testimony or a witness to Christ is to share your story. Share your testimony. 
And so that your testimony can be divided into three parts. Who I was before Christ, how I came to know Christ, and who I am since Christ. Now right now, if you're looking at that, and you say, I don't get it, I'm confused, that doesn't apply to me at all, then, then listen to the word of God. If any man or woman is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If that hasn't happened in your life, you need the Lord. How many of you guys know we're not born Christians? Like we're born in America, so we're Americans. You guys understand that? You're not a Christian because your mom or dad was a Christian or grandma and grandpa. You're not a Christian even for going to church. You're a Christian when you turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and receive the forgiveness of sins that he offers to you because he can wash away your sins with his blood. And so before you can get saved, you need to admit, I'm lost. You need to admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Right? Man, I don't want there to be churches where, where everybody thinks everybody's a Christian in the world and, um, you know, I'm born a Christian and there's just no conviction of the Holy Spirit. God forbid. We're here to preach Christ. Why? Because we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so, hey, as you're sharing this, the open door and the conversation, it could be a few minutes or it could be longer depending on the, on the situation, right? The good news is you don't have to memorize some long, you know, uh, speech and you gotta make sure I get it all right and the pressure's on. No, it's your story. Everybody knows their story. And so what's my testimony in less than a minute? Right, here's the very fast version. Who was I before Christ? I was a religious young man who thought I was gonna go to heaven because I was a good person. There was no conviction in my heart. I went to church every single Sunday of my life, but there's no conviction at all. Of course I'm gonna go to heaven, I'm a good person. Praise God, there was somebody in my high school in my senior year who handed me a gospel track. And I looked at that gospel track, and how many of you guys know the word of God is powerful, whether it's on a gospel track or in the Bible or wherever, right? So for the first time in my life, I read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I was like, I'm in trouble. I'm lost. You see it? I admitted it. I'm a sinner. I need the Savior. And praise God, it continued on with other gospel verses. And I turned to Christ in repentance and faith, and he saved my soul and changed my life. Okay? So look. Who was I before Christ? How I came to know Christ? And who am I since Christ? Who am I? I'm a work in progress, as Pastor Matt said a few weeks ago. Right? He changed my life back then. By the way, in May, it'll be 39 years since I met the Lord. Praise God for that, right? And so he changed my life, but guess what? He continues to have a lot of patience and a lot of mercy, and he continues to change my life to this day. Hey, that's my story. What's your story? See, you, here's my point, you have a testimony, you have a story that God wants you to share with the people in your sphere of influence that will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to hear it from you. 
As my wife's coffee mug says at home, the world needs who God made you to be. I love that. There's people I could never reach, but you could, because God made you, you. You're special. You're made in the image of God. And so no matter when you met Jesus, at an early age, right, some people, they're on this hang-up where I got saved when I was a little kid, and so I don't have a story. No, you have a story. You have a story to tell. Christ is real in your life. He continues to change you, right? You have a story to share. Whether you got saved in an early age, a middle age, older age, hey, you have a unique story that will bring glory to Christ, and as you share it, What's gonna happen? The Spirit's gonna work through you. He will bear witness about me and you, the special you who God made you to be, will also bear witness. So even if you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord as a little kid, you have a story. He changed you then, saved you, sealed you with his Spirit. You're his child, and he's continuing to change you to this day. Now, Jesus knew that when they the disciples testified about him, they were gonna receive opposition, and the Lord wanted to prepare them for that. And so here's what he said now in chapter 16, verse one. Um, by the way, no chapter or verse divisions in the original manuscripts, or even the early copies. We added these later so we could get, get, get around easily in the Bible. So if you're looking at chapter 16, verse one, can you say amen? All right, so I have said all these things to you to keep you 11 guys in the upper room, from falling away. In the Greek, that's stumble or being offended. I don't want you to stumble in your faith. I don't want you to be offended because of me. So here, I'm gonna just tell you up front, everybody, all right? Verse two, that man, you, as you follow me, you're gonna be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Praise the Lord. Let's close our Bibles, amen. Is that what it says there? No, 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 no. He said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Anybody remember a guy named Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the apostle? Right, so, so the hour is coming when whoever kills you guys is, thinking, is gonna think he's offering service to God. Wow, what a, what a positive message, Jesus. No, what a sorrowful message, Jesus. Do you guys know sometimes teaching the word of God causes people to be sorrowful? And so if you're hearing the word of God and it happens to be something that makes you sorrowful, don't go find another church that's gonna make you feel good. Stick with the word of God. And so what does Jesus say? He says, hey, guess what? As you openly share me, to a lost and dying world, what can you expect? You can expect to get kicked out of synagogues. You can expect to be martyred for your faith. We believe that 10 out of 11 of the guys in the upper room ultimately were martyred for their faith. All right, in his book, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, which by the way, blows me away how God has used this little easy read book. There has been over 15 million copies of this sold. Um, by the way, Josh McDowell and his son, Sean McDowell, the co-writer, 
And Sean McDowell, who's an apologist and works as a professor of the apologetics department, I think he's over the whole department at Biola University, is coming here to Calvary PSL in July. So we're gonna have this year, uh, quick side note, quick commercial, we're gonna have a marriage seminar in the spring here at Calvary, then our apologetic seminar in the summer, and then Lord willing, we're gonna have a parenting seminar in the fall. So we're really looking forward to that. But Josh McDowell um, said this, regarding what Jesus uh, was telling the disciples and how they're gonna be persecuted and opposed. Quote, he said, I can trust the apostles' testimonies because those men died martyrs' deaths because they stood solid for two truths, Christ's deity and his resurrection. These men were tortured and flogged and most finally suffered death by some of the cruelest methods then known. We learn from their deaths um, we learn of their deaths from historical sources and long-standing tradition. One, Peter crucified. Anybody remember how Peter was crucified? Upside down. Two, Andrew was crucified. Three, James killed by the sword. You can read about that in Acts 12. Four, Philip crucified. Five, Barth Bartholomew crucified. Six, Thomas killed by a spear. Matthew, killed by a sword. James, crucified. Thaddeus, killed by arrows. Simon the Zealot, crucified. By the way, he didn't fight back using his martial arts before they killed him. And the only one died a natural death, John, the author of this gospel, but he certainly was opposed and he certainly was persecuted. And so no wonder Jesus told them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's the message of discipleship right there. And so that, in the face of tremendous opposition, that's exactly what the disciples did. What? They denied themselves, they took up their cross and they followed the Lord. Okay, application time, it's not enough for me to just give you a bunch of knowledge, right? Okay, so what does this mean for us today? The question is, are we gonna follow in their footsteps? In other words, as I said last week, when our culture becomes more and more hostile to evangelical Bible-believing Christians, like us, I hope you are, an evangelical Bible-believing Christian, but, but guess what? They don't like us. I'm talking about the world, and I defined the world last week, so go back and please listen to the message. It's not probably what you're thinking right now, but the world is, doesn't like what we stand for, and so if we live out loud for the Lord Jesus Christ, what's gonna happen? We're gonna receive opposition in increasing measure in our lives. And so, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want to do. Like Jesus, I wanna prepare you in advance, why? Because I don't want you to stumble in your faith. I don't want you to be offended. I want you to know up front that if you make the choice to live out loud for Jesus Christ, there are gonna be people who hate you. There are gonna be people who oppose you. It comes with the territory. And so the question is, will you, will I deny ourselves every day, take up our cross, courageously and follow Jesus fervently. Those words up there, that's not just for the first century disciples, it's for modern day disciples today and all disciples for the last 2,000 years. Please look at verse five. He said, but now I'm going to him who sent me. Oh, by the way, I gotta back up and explain four. Um, 
or three, he said, and they will do these things, right? Oppose you, kick you out of the synagogue, kill you, because they have not known the Father nor me. And so, ladies and gentlemen, anybody who murders people, kills people um, in the name of their religion does not know the true God, period. Verse four, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you and I did not say these things to you from the beginning, you know, three years ago when I chose you to be my disciples, I didn't share all this with you because, you know, I was with you. I was there to protect you. I took the brunt of the persecution, but now I'm going to him who sent me. I'm leaving. So I'm letting you know. All right, so there, there, there we are there in the middle of verse five. He says, I'm going back to the Father and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, if you remember, earlier that evening, in John chapter 13, verse 36, Peter did ask Jesus, where are you going? But then Jesus now is saying, none of you, I'm going back to the Father, but none of you asked me, where are you going? (laughs) Did Jesus forget what Peter said earlier that same evening in the upper room? No. No, the idea is this. When Peter said, where are you going? It wasn't out of a heart of concern for Christ. It was out of concern for himself. Listen, Jesus dropped a bomb on these 11 guys when he says he's leaving. They had developed a close personal relationship with him and that he was like their security blanket and all of a sudden, you ever been really, really cold? Like maybe this morning and the alarm went off and um, did any of your wives, husbands pull the blanket off of you? I don't wanna go to church, right? Well, Jesus was their security blanket. He says, I'm leaving. And it was like buckle knees, shock waves, right? And so what happened? What happened is they became very, very sorrowful. So when Peter asked, where are you going? The heart behind his question wasn't, where are you going and what will happen to you? It was, where are you going and what's gonna happen to us? And that is what motivated Jesus' reply in the second part of verse five, when he said, none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The inference here is you guys are so focused on yourselves. You guys are so focused on your sorrow that nobody's asking me, what's gonna happen to you? And so, if you're listening now, say amen here. Time to apply it again. By the way, I really am cognizant of applying the scriptures. I know we're a Bible teaching church and there's a lot of knowledge that comes, but I really do work hard at applying the scriptures. Okay, so check it out. Here's the truth. Sorrow tempts us to become inward focused. And the more we look inward, the more sorrowful we become. Anybody like get too much in your own head? You can raise your hand, I'll raise two. I'm with you, I'm connecting with you. It's just like very inward inward focused. 
So if you're discouraged today, I don't know who you are, but please know two things. Number one, Jesus loves you. You say, yeah, but you know, I, I get so inward focused, he's probably mad at me. Stop listening to the lies of the devil. Anybody who's in Christ is a new creation. Listen, listen to the truth of God's word. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus, he loves you, he accepts you. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, he loves you and he'll accept you when you turn to him in repentance and faith. All right, so, so listen, he's not mad at you. He loves you, number one, and number two, he doesn't want you to be consumed by your sorrow. Because how many of you guys know that like a hungry dog eating whatever he's eating, dog food at the end of the day, sorrow will try to consume you. Okay, and so one remedy, everybody say one remedy for blues is to shift our focus off of ourselves and onto Jesus and others. And if we'll do that, eventually we will experience this right here. Joy. Anybody like my smiley face? <laughs> it's true, because joy's coming. But here's the thing, your flesh will fight against that. Your flesh wants to be me, myself, my, my, me, myself, and I, inward focus, inward focus, inward focus. Is, there, is everybody listening to me right now? Don't do what you feel, do what's right. Don't do what you feel, do what's right. If I could sing like Reagan, I would sing it right now. <laughs> I can't sing, but I want you to remember that this week. Don't do what you feel, do what's right. Okay, what's right? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. So if you will be concerned about Jesus first, right? This is what Jesus is saying to them. I'm going back to the Father, but none, none of you is asking, where are you going? What's gonna happen to you? Because you're all sorrowful, you're consumed with yourselves, and, and, the, and, and so listen, if we are concerned about Jesus first, and then others, and then ourselves last, joy is coming. But as I said, your flesh, my flesh, fights against this. Our flesh wants us to put myself first, and then others, and then Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, that spells yaj, and that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and neither will your life. And so, not only that formula will help be a remedy for a sad heart, but other remedies are also out there as well. And one of them may include seeing a professional Christian counselor or therapist who can help you process your thoughts, your emotions, your behavior in a confidential environment. But see, again, Americans are so self-sufficient, too self-sufficient, so many people have this attitude. Christian therapist, I don't need a shrink, right? No, maybe you do need a Christian counselor or a Christian therapist. It's a good thing. There's no shame in it. You guys hearing me right now? There's no shame in seeing a Christian counselor or a Christian therapist. Pastor Matt, our care pastor, has names of men and women who can help you. If you need the help, contact him. But avail yourself of the help that you need, there's no shame in it, it's a good thing. And ladies and gentlemen, I just wanna say this, we should be grateful for the Christian men and women who work in the mental health field. They are a gift to the body of Christ, a gift. 
and they've been called to do what they do. And I know because one of my master's degrees is in psychology and counseling, and so when I was in my 20s, I thought pastor or counselor, and the Lord led me to be a pastor, but I have a heart for this. And I want you to avail yourself of the help within the body of Christ. Now, look at verse seven. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Okay, so can you see it now? Jesus talking to 11 depressed, discouraged, sorrowful disciples, and he's trying to encourage them. He's like, guys, it's a good thing that I'm going away. Don't be sad. Middle of verse seven. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. By the way, everybody look at me real quick. Jesus was God in the flesh, but as a man, he could only be one place at one time. Right, but the Holy Spirit can be at all places at all time. You see the genius of God in evangelism. And so, hey, if I go, I will send him to you. Verse eight, and when he comes, what's the the Holy Spirit gonna do? He's gonna convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. All right, so regarding the spirit of truth, second point I wanna highlight is that he convicts the world of their need for Christ. Now, what does the word convict mean? If you're new to the Bible, it means to pronounce guilty. I know that some people don't like that, but that is one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit. I never forget being in a Billy Graham crusade a long time ago in Tampa Stadium back when it was the big sombrero before they tore that thing down and I'm sitting there with like 60,000 people Billy Graham is preaching and it was just like a huge cloud of conviction over the whole crowd it was something else I mean that that man was so anointed by the Lord but that's what the Holy Spirit does why? If you're listening, say amen here. Because you can't get saved till you admit you're lost. You'll never meet the Savior till you see your need for the Savior. And if you're a sinner, the wages of sin is what? Death. Christ died in your place as your substitute. Bled out for you. Died and rose again. And now he wants to take your sin and give you his righteousness. Okay, and so, what is the remedy for our sin? It's faith in Christ. So isn't that what Jesus just said? He said, concerning sin, verse nine, because they do not believe in me. He wants people to believe in him so he can get rid of their sin. (laughs) Now in first century Judaism, before AD 70, does anybody know what happened in AD 70? Go ahead and shout it out. Thank you. Roman Empire took down the temple. What did they do in the temple? Animal sacrifices. Okay, and so before AD 70, on the Day of Atonement, during the Old Covenant days, the high priest, you guys know this, would go into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain and offer the blood of animals, uh, right, to atone 
for the people's sins and his own sins. But in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews around AD 65, before that thing was torn down, the, in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews said, quote, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Question, under the old covenant, did God mandate that there be animal sacrifices? Yes or no? Yeah, read Leviticus, right? But here's the thing. The animal sacrifices were just a shadow that pointed to the coming sacrifice of Christ. And so regarding all this, John Phillips, one of my favorite authors, he said this, the shadow of a key cannot unlock a prison door. The shadow of a meal cannot satisfy a hungry man. And the shadow of Calvary cannot take away sin. What does that mean? That means when you go home today and you wanna put the key into your front door, try putting the shadow into that lock. See what happens, nothing. Hey wives, as you're watching the Miami Dolphins this afternoon at halftime, and you bring your husband a big bowl of nachos um, and salsa or whatever, right? Tell him, do not touch a nacho, just eat the shadow. <laughs> I don't wanna cause a divorce, okay? Let him eat his chips, all right. But, but, but you see this? And the shadow of Calvary, what's that? That's all the animal sacrifices under the old covenant. They cannot take away sin. Who can take away sin? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He can. And I love this, his sacrifice once for all, all sufficient for all time. And by his sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Oh, I love it, Hebrews 10, 14. I love it, I love it, I love it. If you know Christ, you are perfect in God's sight. Not because you and I are so good, because he's so good. If you're thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ, man, let's let, let him know right now, I'm gonna join you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have you put your faith in Jesus so your sins can be forgiven? Second of all, the Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Now, I'm really trying to interpret the scriptures in the flow of the context, historical and biblical. And so here's what I think this means here. I think he's talking about self-righteousness. What's the remedy of self-righteousness? Uh, Christ's righteousness. That's it. And so in the first century AD, Judaism, lots of self-righteous people, right? But here's the problem, self-righteousness couldn't save them. Nothing's changed. In our culture today, there's millions and millions of people who are trying to do quote-unquote good deeds so they can earn paradise or earn heaven. The problem is this, Isaiah bluntly said, and I quote, I'm quoting from Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In the Hebrew, the term filthy rags means menstrual cloth. Okay, so if a, a person is trying to be good enough that God will accept them by doing all these righteous acts, God says, through Isaiah, all those good deeds are like a bunch of menstrual cloths before a holy God. 
Martin Luther said, and I quote, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man is that somehow he can make himself good enough to deserve to live forever with an all-holy God. And so self-righteousness will damn the human soul. What do we need? We need Christ's righteousness. We need to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Well, how does that happen? Paul told us in Romans. He says in Romans 3, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Praise the Lord. We don't have to stand before an infinite holy God in the tattered, stained robes of our self-righteousness. God help that person. We get to stand before the Lord. Those of us who know Jesus Christ, we get to stand before a holy God in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, come on in. Come past the veil. Come jump up on my lap, child. I accept you. Isn't the gospel beautiful? Isn't the gospel wonderful? And so... Third of all, the Spirit convicts the world of judgment. Actually, again, in the context flow, the historical flow, I think Jesus is talking about false judgment about himself here. All right, so what's the remedy for false judgment? It's right judgment about Jesus Christ. So what do we need to take care of our sin? Faith in Christ. What do we need? As opposed to our self-righteousness. We need Christ's righteousness And what do we need to stop doing? We need to stop making false judgments about Jesus Christ and understand what the Bible says about him. So in first century Judaism, right, many people looked at Jesus and they said, hey, he's a false prophet. Hey, he's leading people astray. Hey, he's a blasphemer. Hey, his mama conceived him in sin. Wow, I don't know how Jesus handled that one. Someone talk about my mama? I'm getting mad. Basically, they're saying, your mother was a fornicator. They looked at Jesus and said, hey, you know, not only are you a blasphemer, some of them even said this, you have a demon. Wow, talk about wrong judgments about Jesus Christ. And in chapter seven, when they're going at it, Jesus, you know, turns around and he says this in John chapter seven, verse 24. He says, quote, judge with the right judgment. What's the most important judgment we could ever make in our lives? How we view Jesus Christ. And they were looking at him wrong. Still many today, application time, make wrong judgments about Jesus Christ. But here's good news for anybody who will listen. Far, far from being a false prophet or a blasphemer. Far away even from being a good prophet right? Just a good prophet or a religious leader. Here's what you need to know. If you're listening, say amen here. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, we should clap right now for the Lord. (laughs) Hey, let's practice this. Everybody in the whole house and everybody at home, everybody in the count of three, say, praise the Lord. I'm going to help you out, introverts, all right? One, two, three, go. Yeah, praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. He's our hero, our savior. 
We don't have to go to hell. We can go to heaven forever. Wow, he loves us. Man, you say, you sure get passionate. I can't help myself. God is so good. And so, good news, Christ defeated the devil. We don't have to listen to Satan lies. The ruler of this world, as Jesus said, has been judged, has been condemned. We can make right judgments about Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in him? He said in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you. That's how I feel every Sunday as that clock is ticking down. But you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's gonna glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The third point I wanna highlight from our text about the Holy Spirit is that he guides us into the truth about Jesus Christ. So Jesus in that upper room looks at his guys, he could tell by the look on their faces, they can't bear any more truth. But here's the question. Was there more divine truth that needed to be revealed, yes or no? Yeah, oh yeah. So praise the Lord that when the sun went up, the Spirit came down, and after Pentecost, what did the Holy Spirit do? He gave the true apostles and the true prophets more divine revelation, which led to the writing of the New Testament. One of my favorite authors, David Guzik, Calvary Chapel guy like me, he said Jesus frankly admitted that his own teaching was incomplete and anticipated the further instruction of the church by the Holy Spirit. So this statement of Jesus leads us to anticipate, I love it, the formation of the New Testament. All right, so regarding the formation of the New Testament, did you guys know Jesus predicted it? He said in John 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father is gonna send in my name, he will teach you all things, and look, listen to this, he'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What are we talking about there? The Gospels, what Jesus said. How many of you guys have red letter editions? Lots of red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, what did he do? He reminded the disciples of all that Jesus had said to them, and praise God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it down. Regarding Acts, praise God for Luke, right? Dr. Luke gave us a historical account of the Acts of the Apostles, really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus predicted that too. He said in John chapter 15 and verse 27, he said, and you, disciples, also will bear witness. So the Holy Spirit's gonna bear witness about Christ and you also will bear witness and we have a historical account of that in Acts. Regarding the epistles, the letters, Jesus said in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Praise God, he was a latecomer, but thank God Saul of Tarsus, Saul the Hebrew name, became Paul, Greek name, the apostle, 
wow, what an intellect. Wow, what a guy. And thank God the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write more than half of the New Testament when you count up the books. I'm not saying the content. So thank God for Paul and Peter and, and, and John and James, the author of Hebrew, and Jude, etc. Jesus said it would happen. But look at this, Revelation, the book of Revelation. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will declare to you things that are to come. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the canon of Scripture is closed. Now, I know there's a lot of mature Christians in this room. I know there's a lot of Christians that, that are, you know, you're getting there. And I know there's some new, brand new Christians in this room. But everybody needs to know, in every generation, no matter how mature or, or you are in Christ, you need to know this. The canon of Scripture is closed. There is no more inspired truth coming down from God. Therefore, if a quote-unquote apostle, modern-day apostle, or quote-unquote modern-day prophet says to you, close your Bibles, I have new revelation from God. What's the one word? Run. Run. That's what the cults do. The Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. What? All the cults, all the cult teachers. New revelation from God. No. Ladies and gentlemen, we have all we need right here in the breathed out, inspired 66 books of the Bible. Don't be deceived. Don't be duped. This is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. So how are we guided today? Here's how. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to the hearts of the people of God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we live it out. And so you might be new, you might say, man, I just, you know, I read the Bible, it's just so hard. Well, number one, I wanna say what I said earlier. Don't do what you feel, do what's right. Open it up every day whether you feel like it or not. That's a sign of maturity. But also, I wanna say, if you wanna build your foundation, I wanna highly recommend from American Family Studios the film, The God Who Speaks. And so this is a documentary. It's like an hour and a half long, so you may need to do it in sections. But it, is, it um, shows forth the inspiration, the inerrancy, and the authority of the Bible. How, do, how does it do it? It examines the evidence, right? And then it interviews all these great evangelical scholars. You can watch it for free. I bought it on Amazon because I like to watch it over and over. Uh, but you can get it for free from Right Now Media. How many of you guys have a Right Now Media account? Raise your hand. Oh man, like 25%. Okay, how many of you guys call Calvary PSL your church home? Say amen. amen. Okay, so you can have it for free. Right Now Media, if you're, this is your church home. So right after the service, if you don't have Right Now Media, go to the Next Steps area, they'll show you how you can get it. And you can watch The God Who Speaks for free. Now, it's a little confusing, because I did it, and I was like, where is it? I can't find it. I hit watch trailer, and then it took me to the next page where the movie is. Or just go top of the screen, thegodwhospeaks.org, and um, you can get it there. But it really will help you understand where in the world did we get this book? 
Why in the world do we think it's breathed out by God? How do we know it's really without any errors in the original manuscripts? And not only that, how long did it take to write it? How many authors were there? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I am passionate about all of this because ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit has used God's word to absolutely change my life. And he wants to change yours as well.